happening at the moment. There's the thing that I'm thinking about is all the decisions that were made in the meeting and coming out of the meeting that people are, are missing when they cut off a Zoom call, or that kind of ability to focus on what on someone's body language in the corner. That that is going to hurt productivity. From my home office to you, this is the Place OS podcast. This is my interview with Ian Morgan. His career story is really interesting, having worked in different countries and as a consultant and then as a tech strategist. We were part of a tech panel knowledge series in 2019, and Ian's answers to the questions actually evolved from one city to the next as assumptions about how people felt about their data privacy were just thrown out um, in the discussions with with the group attending the panel. My favourite part of this discussion um, is to talk about those assumptions, but also I really love talking about the diversity in the workplace that you just can't see. Um, And I'll go into this even more with an upcoming podcast with Robin DeSerka from Deloitte. Um, I really like these kind of topics. So talking to interesting people about interesting topics makes this podcast really fun to do. Uh, Here's Ian. My guest today on the Place OS podcast is Ian Morgan. He's previously been with AMP Capital and Deloitte in the US and the UK. Ian and I worked on the AMP Capital project where we developed a product that sits on Place OS that allows tenants to book and pay for services that AMP Capital offers, like flexible spaces within their buildings. Um, his LinkedIn bio no longer reads optimistic, pragmatist, thinking and doing, That's trust and control. because you gave me too much hassle for it. it's true yes I gave you a lot of shit about your LinkedIn bio but there's really good parts to that so I'm I'm disappointed that you took out the optimistic pragmatist I thought it described my personality well but everyone you know I've got to listen I've got to listen to the people and a lot of people said it made me sound um, like a bit of a dick so um, it went I still describe myself to my friends as an optimistic pragmatist though maybe a pragmatic realist on my darker days (laughs) Yeah, so you just have to, it's like turning down the wankiness on on LinkedIn. But for people who know you, they know that you're not like that. So it's perfectly okay to use that language. Yeah, it's, um, I'm, I'm not, like, I'm not, I, I shunned social media in 2009. I kind of came off everything. So I'm not a great social mediaist, if, that, if that, that term exists. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to, like, take a good selfie or anything, you know. No, me neither. No, hopeless. I do love podcasts though, and that's you know this this medium is really good. Yeah, like I've got the head for radio. I think not not the face. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we we actually did we recorded a podcast a couple of months ago, and we got way off track. But this time we are going to we're going to nail this podcast because the reason I wanted to talk to you was you have so many ideas and you always have your finger on the pulse of trends and like you're not afraid to put your ideas out there and just make them known and sometimes it ends up in a bit of a debate back and forth between us but sometimes we end up agreeing as well and at the AMP Capital um, panel last year we talked about 10 new trends for buildings that landlords and tenants had to embrace and with COVID-19, we can make even more bold predictions, I think. And, and I think that you're the person to sort of bounce those ideas back and forth. So desks versus collaboration spaces post-COVID-19. What do you think we're going to see? Um, I think we're going to see people use desks at home, but increasing use of collaboration spaces. And whether that's provided by one office or a flex space, I think that will be the trend to go. Um, the, the thing that I keep coming back to is is around what work looks like now and what work will continue to look like in the future. And ultimately, if it's if it's a desk-based activity, we all have to do desk-based activities. We, we can't get away from it. And sometimes before COVID-19, I, there is definitely um, a productivity benefit to being at home. You're not distracted by other people. You can kind of get your head down and get on with it. But largely, a lot of the a lot of the work that humans are going to be doing now and in the future is kind of complex solving, complex problem solving. The, the notion of experts or people that have all the answers is kind of, that's gone, right? That sort of went five years ago. And the ubiquitous, the ubiquitous access of the internet 
made that knowledge base almost totally redundant. But to solve those complex problems, we need to collaborate. And humans still a species that collaborate and communicate more, more importantly, in different ways. So there's a lot of stuff that's happening at the moment. There's the thing that I'm thinking about is all the decisions that were made in the meeting and coming out of the meeting that people are, are missing when they cut off a Zoom call or that kind of ability to focus on what on someone's body language in the corner. That that is gonna hurt productivity. It's it's that oh, ability to sorry. Oh, a hundred like I just came off a call with thirteen people on it. I couldn't see any of them. We did it over Skype, so everyone had their videos turned off. Yeah. And it was a presentation to people about a smart building offering that incorporated like 12 different features, like 12 different tech streams. So to do that, I'm literally in my home office and I'm staring at my screen, not being able to see anybody, but just walking them through a presentation and trying to like get some engagement. It's really difficult. Yeah. But, and it's kind of... Uh, and we now one of the one of the other sides of this as well is we talk about in, in the innovation space we talk around being like I've kind of moved away from the notion of being customer centered because look that's just I think that was just management consultants trying to trying to spin a new thing businesses have always been set up to serve customers right that's what they do but we're, we're now in the age of um, kind of um, making things more accessible to more people in a, in a quick fashion for that collaboration with customers is absolutely essential. And that can't happen during COVID. I mean, you could probably do it virtually, but it's ex extremely difficult. But your collaboration with your customers to kind of look, feel, touch, learn with them, it's that's not an option via COVID-19. And I'm saying that's not, we don't do that 100% of the time, right? So that's why the ability to have a, access to a collaboration space is extremely important. But whether we need access to those collaboration spaces 100% of the time, you know, I don't think that's the case. So if I if I was the CEO of a hundred person business, I'd be saying, look, how, you know, pragmatically, how many desks do I need, and how much access to collaboration space do I need, and I'd be looking at tweaking that balance. Yeah, I'd be doing the same. I I also we we just introduced a new feature on our workplace app that allows you to go to a space and then put yourself into stealth mode, because what we've recognised is that one people don't want to be bothered sometimes yeah. and even though that they're in the building that you know we can still pick them up that they're in the building if location services is turned on but to notify the rest of their company in an interface that they're all looking at that you know they're in stealth mode they're doing deep work for the next three hours yeah and then coming out of that so um, as people get back to going into workplaces even how desks function and the kind of features that you can put around desks to sort of let people be more productive, let them say, hey, I've got, I need to be in stealth mode right now. I don't want to be bothered. And, yeah. and on the back end, that actually gives us some really good analytics about how the space is being used and what people do in those particular spaces. So I think we'll start to see the analytics about desks versus collaboration spaces and, and how people are using them as well. Um, what about a wellness focus post COVID nineteen? We've already seen that trend for wellness classes, meditation. Um, the bushfires in New South Wales and Victoria, in particular, were pretty hectic over our summer, so air quality became quite topical. Um, and even you know, one that's been around for a while is that sit to stand desk and ergonomics mm. about the workstation. Do you think you know people have been working from their laps, from their couches, from their beds? we'll see a resurgence in ergonomic related wellness as well. Yeah, I do. I think, I think one of the, coming back to sort of the root core, I think people, this, this COVID time or this, this isolation time, people are going to be way more aware of how they work and the, and the difference between how they work as well. So you mentioned that deep work, you mentioned this collaboration focus. I think what will change is people won't just talk about work anymore they'll talk about the nature of the task within the work and I think that individuals will be far more aware of their ergonomic requirements as well so I think you will start to see um it, it, we've seen this trend in technology as well so people in people from a technology perspective haven't wanted to work in an environment whereby their work tech is worse than their home tech 
I think we're going to see that as well and from a from a people perspective that people aren't going to work want to work in an office that isn't as ergonomically or supports their their broader well-being in the same way as their home office because if I could you know this this period of time has proven that people can be trusted to work from home so if I've got a better setup at home then why wouldn't I work from home yeah, well, I do have a better setup at home. I've got a really good monitor, a really good electronic desk that helps me do the sit to stand at my height. Um, Which is but, about 12 you know, foot nine, right? Yeah, 12 foot nine, about that. And then I'm sharing it with my husband who's like 15 feet. So, wow. you know, I have to bring it down a bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so I've got, a, I've got a really good setup at home, nice office and outlook and all of that sort of stuff that I can just see some of these features coming back into the workplace where like, you know, customers are asking us for NFC tap-on at some of the desks and integrating that into PlaceOS. But we could yeah. also integrate that and see, you know, are there furniture suppliers that would let us do the NFC tap that has some kind of preference that electronically um, puts that desk at the height that you prefer it. So, yeah. It's a, a kind of... the That's kind of stuff. I'm not... I, I sometimes think if that's tech for the sake of tech, if you if there's a control on the side, whether it's manual a little wind up thing or it's a button that allows you to adjust the height of the desk, I generally think that that's I generally think that that would be strong enough. But there's a lot of desks that don't even have that don't even have that, you know. Yeah, but it's the same thing that used to happen with the room, right? So people used to spend fifteen or still do sometimes really spend fifteen minutes setting up the AV at the start of the meeting just to present a screen and and start a video conference call. In our solutions now, that doesn't happen. They walk in and that's automatically triggered. So some of those things that you have to do anyway, like sit down at a desk and put your, you know, tap your um, phone on the NFC reader, that gives you the occupancy or it incentivizes you some way. Like you might earn points when you're checking it at a workstation or something like that. Um, but from that one action, you can glean several different triggered things mm. and, it can all, and it can all be around, you know, it's just an idea. It's all preference driven. It's all this stuff that's sort of technically viable, and we just want to see what the ideas that come out of this um, isolation period are. Well, I mean, the, the trend that you're circling there is about workplace personalization, right? Is that your workplace understands who you are and what your preferences are? But yeah, it's, it's the extent to which there will be consumption for, for however, because there's a point where you know tech can the tech can make the process overwhelming and complex. And there's, there's actually quite a fine line between between doing that. If there's any kind of form, like people, software has become so good now that people, people have to expend any form of mental effort to understand how something works. Then, you know, there's a lack of, there's a real lack of adoption on that kind of stuff as well. So it's about it's what I think it's about understanding whether whether line of personalization becomes onerous versus becomes something that, support, that supports you know a, a feature that allows you to activate a room and it knows who you are and what your meeting's about and then it automatically dials everyone else in that to me seems like a really you know, that seems like a really good use of technology having an individual scan their phone on a desk for, the, for a particular preset ergonomic setup, which may change depending on what people want at a certain point in time. I kind of feel, so if, if we take that example, right? So I want my desk set at 15 and I scan it, but then on this one particular day, I've hurt my hamstring running on the rare occasion I do go running. Um, <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> and, I, and I want it set at 10 because I want to sit down for longer. Do I then have to go in and program it through my use, user interface on my phone to then adjust the desk? I kind of feel that feel that feels a little bit, a little bit overhead driven for me. Yeah. It's the same as when I use my Sonos app at home. When I... Sorry? When you use your what stuff? You know, the Sonos app? Oh, uh, Sonos like app. A, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that. yeah. yeah, so when I, you know, like my phone might be in my, my bedroom and I'm trying to play music in the kitchen, I have to go leave the kitchen to go and get my phone to control the Sonos. Mm. Like there is there is a button on it, but it's, it's not giving me the playlist. It's kind of, you know, it's, 
it is when you when you live in that app driven world and everything comes through your phone you're sort of missing the point of like the control is just there the, the device is just there yeah and, and that comes there's some kind of balance yeah and that comes down to the cognitive and physical effort element so there's obviously physical effort required in that because you have to go and get your phone it's the same as a cognitive one of the things i've been surprised one of the, the the interesting situations is the multiple breed demographics that we have in in buildings at the moment I've been mm-hmm. like I've been pretty surprised at the at the speed at which certain demographics are, are not filtered by age because you get early adopters in, in every age group, but it's the difference between the early adopters and the laggards and the speed with which an early adopter will take a new tech and incorporate that new tech into their daily routine and then expect the next feature when you still have those people still kind of resisting on the other side, and that might be and that might be one of the positive um the positive outcomes of the covid thing it's driven it's driven broader technical adoption because people have had to use technology in ways that they haven't done that previously so i'm hoping that that might be one of the the speed with which people adopt good tech i'm hoping that will be one of the good sides um yeah of this well and it's not even just individual users like some of the stuff we're talking about wellness here is air quality and that a user doesn't have to touch that that's more about the building owners and the building operators adopting that kind of tech so i guess the more and more familiar they're becoming with tech the more i guess um what's the right word like the more invested they're becoming the more open to what it can do for their jobs as well i think i think there might be some pressure on trying to understand things like air quality and what the air quality inside a building now should be yeah. and that's all automated in the background that doesn't have to that doesn't have to run through an application for an employee at all yeah it's a, i mean this is it's a um it's a hot off the press thing but i've just seen that scott morrison's announced the like a safe work like a safe work and i guess it'd be like a certificate or something and i'm wondering if that will be one of the criteria for a safe work environment post covid so yeah it, it's all that, that kind of ability to understand, provide a safe and comfortable environment and be able to demonstrate you can do that, that's that's going to become far more significant in the next six to nine months, I think. And so one of our other points here on my list is contactless everything. So you think that will potentially um, be a part of that safe work? Because we're talking about things that we can do without even touching devices anymore like av used to be controlled by a shared control panel or um you know we can do a lot of that via automation now or via your own device you don't have to touch a a common panel anymore yeah i think there's i think i'm still when i bought my house i went to um i was looking at um other houses as you do when you're buying a house um and the tech, like the the panel tech, dates so quickly. Like it's a, it's a real kind of um, eyesore in, in residential properties. But I like I, I don't understand why we still put panels in buildings. I, I just, I'm just not sure there's ever. I mean, it's just I'm not sure there's a need for it. One of the one of the um, one of the things that I'm expecting to hit a maturity point in the next in the next two years is voice control so yeah. we we should be looking at how we can use sort of you know natural language maybe something like a, an amazon alexa or a, or a siri or a google home element i i think there's looking at the adoption rates in residential and this comes back to this whole view again of people want a similar experience in work to what they want at home um i think there's gonna like, i can i control all my lights at home via alexa for example um, and, it, and if I'm not at home, I can control it via my own phone. That that trend in buildings, that'll come, and that'll come fairly quickly, I think. Agree. Definitely agree. There's no, there's, um, no, there's, no technological, there's no technological barrier to it. It's just landlords would need to invest significant capital in providing it. And they haven't had to do it because there hasn't been the consumer demand, the customer drivers for that kind of thing. People now living at home, and they've sort of invested in making their own their own home offices better. That will be the kind of the pressure point, I think, to pressure landlords into investing in this sort of thing. Because 
landlords have been reluctant to provide um, to provide tech, tech that improves experience for a little while now. Yeah, we're we're scoping a couple of projects at the moment. I mean, they're not going to be completed builds for at least 12, 18 months, Um, but they're definitely asking for things like virtual assistant and um, yeah, like support for Siri and Google on our apps. Yeah. Google Assistant on our apps. And so it's really interesting. It'll, what I've often experienced is that clients will come to us with this amazing wish list of features and, and, but towards actually making decisions and then getting into the build, a lot of it gets watered down to, you know, practical completion things. Yeah. So, yeah, like we're definitely scoping those sorts of features already and I think a couple of them will sneak through. They'll have good enough planning. They'll have good enough thought leaders within their, within their organisations to actually make that happen and, uh, and allow us techies to kind of let loose with that and, and build it for them. Yeah, it's, if you just come back to kind of the, you know, rules of market as well in this, there's obviously supply and demand that affects price point. So if we come back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of reduced demand for physical space, because people have now worked out that, you know, employees can work from home. So if you reduce, if you reduce demand, then supply increases and that cha- and that drives the price point lower. So what we're going to see, what I hope we see is a pressure on landlords to provide differentiated experience as a driver to get people in to to utilize their buildings. Because the CBD in Sydney, for example, has got 98% um, 98 sort of utilization rate. There's no drive, there's no pressure on landlords to provide additional service because they they can rent it out at a high premium anyway. So therefore the, the price point on the asset is being pushed up because of supply and demand levers. COVID could adjust the supply demand relationship and therefore it will force innovation from landlords to provide better experience and better buildings. Mm, That'd be cool. So you think we're going to see a lot more working from home and do you think that we'll have better features for that, like digital whiteboards overlaid on video conferences, for example? That's a tough one. The thing with the... um, So I... I actually set up a, I connected my iPad to my laptop and had a pretty sophisticated, because um, I've got the the, the, the iPad stylus as well. So I had a pretty yeah. sophisticated, and I used Adobe Illustrator as well, right? So I had, you know, arguably the most sophisticated whiteboard that you can, <laughs> that you can manage from home. But what I actually found is the thing with the whiteboard, it's not about access to the whiteboard itself. It's about the ability to kind of, gather people round and have multiple people drawing drawing at the same time using different color pens. It's kind of that scrappy design process. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily access to the whiteboard. I think we can do that. But again, it comes down to this desire to collaborate with other human beings. The, the whiteboard facilitates collaboration. It's not necessarily a mechanism to communicate visually. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, I agree. So um, we're getting asked for things like that, though, even in one of the health solutions where um, clinicians who are, are running virtual consultations, they want the, the ability to annotate within the, the conference call. So you can do that within things like WebEx. Um, so to drive some of the native, so some video conferencing tech has that. So we can use some of those native features if PlaceOS is integrated and then running sort of the front end, the virtual waiting rooms into the consultation. But for other um, systems like Pexit, they don't have a native whiteboard. So could could we put something on top of that that helps clinicians annotate x-rays and um, be able to, you know, do that quick design communication it's more a one-to-one thing. It's not really a group whiteboarding session in that respect, but it is more kind of what comes natural to the clinician is a lot of writing and drawing pictures yeah. and, you know, and, and them trying to explain that to a, a patient down the other end of a video conference. Um, that's the sort of functionality that they're asking us for. Yeah. And I think there's definitely, you know, the, the, there is a definitely a place for that and that will we do need we do need the tools right because having the tools is better than not having the tools but it's not going to replace the 
we're not going this comes down to I've been trying to replace my notebook for mm-hmm. um, for about 10 years mm-hmm. um, but I've never so I've got I've brought like an iPad and I bought the there's an Amazon like writing thing as well but I've never found it the main reason being I was always concerned that I'd lose my notebook and it always had like loads of um, you know loads of information that I wouldn't want necessarily want shared in it so I've, I've tried all these different technological solutions but I never found anything that was as good as that notebook and pen so we'll we'll have solutions for things like digital whiteboard and annotating and it will it will it's so much better than just being able to kind of verbally communicate over a phone that it's so much better than that so therefore there is a need and a requirement for that and we will innovate to get to a solution that works well there however it doesn't it's still not as good as putting people down as you know gathering people or or gathering someone around a whiteboard of being able to look at them whilst you whilst you draw a picture or whilst you annotate a piece of you know an, an X-ray to to use your example. So mm-hmm. we'll we'll get we'll kind of we'll kind of put intermediary fixes in. One of the things that I think you know solves that problem is the virtual reality augmented reality element. And one of the things that I'm expecting is there's probably some genius developer that's been made redundant as a result of a uh, result of the slowdown and has been hacking away in their garage of some sort of virtual office that's what i'm really looking forward to see and that's what that's kind of on my top of my wish list for what comes out of this period is a is a genuine virtual office yeah that's cool i'd like to say that too i i would also like to see us when we're when we're doing more meetings like re just rethinking when we do go back to work what that looks like as far as like sitting on video conferencing all day is kind of soul destroying. Like if you have back-to-back video conferences and I've had days where I might have six hours of my eight hours worth of video conferencing, like it is, it is, (laughs) it's not ideal um, by any stretch. And it's just means that I'm sitting so much and that's, you know, I'm not, I'm not catching public transport at the moment. I'm, I'm just missing all of that movement. And I know that we could already do it pre-COVID, but we just didn't think to. And sort of being more conscious about making moving meetings, making them as part of the uh, walk around the block, mm. um, you know, just instead of that traditional way that we have to do anything that's going to get us away from tech um, and it might be helpful as well. Well, yeah, it's um, I kind of one of the things that I'm hearing from, you know, friends and colleagues is that physical meetings, which were a waste of time anyway, have been replaced by virtual meetings, which is still a waste of time. This, that kind of that kind of people, you know, particularly people in senior positions, they've seen their diary, as you said, they're just fill up completely with these Zoom, you know, with these Zoom meetings and they're scheduled yeah. for an hour, so it lasts an hour. But there's a broader cultural perspective here around don't have a meeting if you don't need one. And I kind of yeah. what I've what hasn't happened, I don't think, and certainly in my opinion, is that people haven't gone, actually, I don't need this meeting. I'm not, I'm not gonna have it. I think people have gone, I'm a little bit unsure. I know what I'll do because it's easy, because it's convenient, I'll schedule a Zoom. Yeah. I'll, I think I'll there are more meetings now than they used to, they used to be. <laughs> Which yeah, is not I'll good. put it on Zoom and then I'll turn my camera off and I'll just do other work while that's playing in the background. <laughs> yeah, I reckon yeah. that's something that people are doing so much right now. Yeah, dear listener, um, dear listener please avoid. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is, that, is, that what is that what you're doing right now? The, the, the thing that, um, one of, that I, have, I have very firm views on productivity and two of the biggest scourges on enterprise productivity are emails and meetings. Right. If we talk oh. about emails and meetings on Mondays and Tuesdays, I guarantee people will be far more productive. But what's happening is that during this time, I think I, you know, my personal view on this is productivity has gone through the floor because the number of meetings and the number of emails has gone up exponentially. And largely, I think that's a, a symptom of human anxiety. I think people are trying to prove that they're busy by scheduling meetings and have and sending emails and that kind of stuff. But it's having the adverse effect. I think people are just kind of like, you know, this is sort of busy work and really what you should be doing is getting your head down and, and getting on with some stuff that can be done effectively during this period. You can't see me, but I'm nodding along. I'm surprised at how much we're agreeing today, actually. 
Yeah, I know. Um, we should talk about politics. So that 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 normally sets us off. <laughs> um, do you think we'll be craving craving human connection, or do you think that we'll be happy to get that elsewhere, like family and friends outside of work? Like, do you think no, we'll be I, looking for more? I think I think we're absolutely desperate to get back to that to that human connection piece. It's um, it's it's kind of it's kind of why we go to work. Actually, I think. Well, one of the reasons I go to work is because our banter is so good. And even on our chat platform, it's just so good because you've got a collection of people who have very similar, um, like, I don't know, just I guess the culture sort of determines the people that we hire and we just have really good banter. So it's a sort of it's a similar sort of intelligence level, I guess. So everybody's kind of into the same things and they have a similar sense of humour about things. Yeah. So it's, it's not really something that I, I get from my family or my friends that I met in different, you know, through school or through netball or something like that. It's more that, you know, these are my tech friends and they've got good banter. Yeah. And it's also the, I think if you have, I think if you work in technology, you're generally pretty interested in it. I think like mm-hmm. I like, I like having conversations around how the best use to deploy technology or whether or not what we're doing is actually customer centric or if we're just kind of faffing around the edges or the best way to ingest data from an IoT device. I like having those conversations and those conversations don't happen organically when we're all working from home. So you kind of like, what should I get? <laughs> you get to a point, should I, should I schedule a Zoom just to kind of kick some ideas around? And then it becomes a very artificial process because we're trying to, when, when we're kind of all working from home, we're, we're having to be more structured. So we're having to like, you know, schedule meetings, that kind of stuff. Creativity and innovation doesn't happen necessarily on a schedule. You can have a brilliant idea just from a conversation in, that you have with someone in the lift and we're missing all those kinds of opportunities. So I think, yeah, definitely craving, uh, definitely craving human human connection again. It feeds the creativity process. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I agree again. This is weird. Uh, <laughs> what about the energy of extroverts and introverts? So what I'm learning, I'm definitely an extrovert. I get energy from being around people. And that's, that's kind of how an extrovert an extrovert is does, you know, that's the definition. Yeah. Um, and so when I'm not around people, I just feel a bit flat. So I'll have days where I'm a bit flat, whereas my husband's a bit more introverted and he's perfectly fine. Like there's no, there's no, um, he's getting enough connection from, you know, the, the family and the, the, like the chat that he's having with his workmates over the phone or over um, conference calls. And I think like talking to my workmates as well there's there's a big bit of a difference there's even memes going around it about it you know after extrovert checking on your extrovert friends but you think we're learning a bit more about um different personality types behavior types and maybe we'll build spaces that will cater to people a bit better looking at that psychology yeah so look i'm i'm pretty introverted not many people not many people work that out because i'm I've done roles where I need to be quite extroverted um, but I'm pretty introverted and I feel like I am if I hadn't had a baby not that I had the baby my wife had the baby I was there though it was, it was pretty traumatic um, if I would feel so I would have I'd feel so much less tired um, I find kind of your know, working existence now way less tiring than um, I do in terms of going to work that doesn't, that, doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean it's more satisfying, though. Yeah, okay. That's interesting to me. So you, you feel like go, going to work, being in all of those meetings, doing a particularly extroverted role, that drains your energy a bit. Yeah, massively. That's probably the best way to utilise your function. Yeah, it, it, it massively it massively drains me, you know. It's um one of the biggest contentious points at home because all my energy goes well was going out to out to work and that kind of stuff. And by sort of seven thirty, eight o'clock, I was mm-hmm. sort of I didn't really have any energy left for any conversation. And then the weekends yeah. would be used for recharging before you go again. So my wife used to say to me pretty frequently that the best of me went to 
meant to my colleagues and the worst of me was left to my family. So um, that's... I think that's a very common thing that happens with people. And yeah, and I think particularly in... I, I, and I think that's particularly true of introverts that that are performing a role that demands them to be a little bit more, you know, demands them to be more um, extroverted. Yeah, my husband's exactly the same. He's in sales and marketing and software. He spends so much time of his day talking, managing people, um, and his work is very energizing for him. Really likes it, but then yeah, like just you just need time to recharge and not talk to anybody <laughs> when you finish your work day. So I think I think that would be a common thing for people. I would love I would love to see us, you know, think about how we could better cater for different personality types, and so that we could get the most out of them. Not just expect that one size fits all. Yeah, it's um, one of my it's one of my most I can I have a massive issue with um, diversity in workplace diversity initiative because they're large. I, I think they're immature. They're large, they're so focused on kind of the, the diversity that we can see, whether that be gender or racial, and we t- and we and I, I kind of I'm open to an organisation that really takes neural diversity seriously. The mm-hmm. fact that people think in different ways, or the th- people are affected positively or adversely by new, like a neural condition, like you know ASD or dyslexia and that kind of stuff, I, I haven't seen anyone anywhere that's really kind of committed and outspoken about that level of neural diver- neural diversity. And I think that will be, I hope, kind of the twenty twenties will be the point that we get serious about that. Yeah, I love this topic. Um, you and I have spoken before about that diversity that you can't see. And even yeah. if you talk about, you know, white middle-aged men get cop it, right, at the moment, they're copying it left, right and centre for, I don't know, everything. Um, but even within that group, there is a huge amount of diversity and you can talk to people from very different backgrounds who don't feel privileged but they're getting labelled as privileged because they're a 40-year-old white man. Yeah, in, um, in a senior role in a large organisation, right? Um, yeah. It's also the view of economic diversity. We publish, like, it's, it's pretty common to publish how many men or how many women are at certain, like, you know, partners in consulting firms, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Are we yeah. publishing how many of those men and how many of those women were, at, were went to private school, for example, or were, were born into low socioeconomic families? Because we aren't mm-hmm. publishing any of that data yeah. anywhere that I can find. No, and even just the human factors around like what's what's happened in their lives that makes them a better human at work, you know, like um, there's so much that I think oh, there was a really good article on um, the female leaders at the moment and, and how they're dealing with COVID mm. and some of those um, leadership qualities that, you know, aren't necessarily traditional leadership qualities, but they're they're talking about, you know, they're embracing um, technology, they're embracing love and kind of um, coming at it from a point of view of education. So holding press conferences for children only to really explain the effects of this coronavirus and COVID-19 and what's going on. Yeah. Um, coming at it from real empathy, like, you, you, you know, Jacinda Ardern's just the poster child for leadership in that way. And yeah. it, it, there's, you know, even within, you can't say just because you're a woman, you've got those things, but there is sort of these things emerging that we're, we don't really have any way to measure, but there's something that happens in people's lives that makes them more empathetic, makes them be able to lead with all of those, um, you know, characteristics. Yeah, the Jacinda Ardern thing, I think is really interesting. So I saw a LinkedIn, a LinkedIn post. I've got some, I've got some dubious people on my LinkedIn. I need to, need to have a clear out, but there was this thing about, you know, Jacinda Ardern's obviously led, done some extraordinary things as a leader, as you say there. But it was pointed out that the fact that she was, she did all these things and she was female. I kind of, I'm not sure, and I mean, just in your perspective, I'm not sure the fact that she's female is relevant to the fact that she's an excellent leader. And I kind of looked at it and I was like, that I, that kind of feels sort of discriminatory in a, in a it, it didn't didn't feel right. I'm not quite sure why it didn't feel right, but it pointed out that that she's a woman and she's done these things. Well, actually, she's a she's a person and she's done these things. They're extraordinary, whether you're male or female. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's the next level of this people this curve that people are on. Yeah. Um, 
What about like change hiring staff in different locations and like changes in working hours? I'll give you an example. We at, at Place OS, I shifted my work hours from 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. so that I could homeschool my kids during the day, let my husband work pretty, you know, I mean, this, he still gets disruptions, but um, so it's kind of a tag team. So I he'll work from 7 to 2 he'll, and then I'll work from 2 to 10. Mm. And because I've done that, I've actually been able to cover a few extra things um, in other time zones that I should be getting more involved in, you know, like as a, as a global sales sort of lead, you want to be involved in new projects. Yeah. That involved breweries. Like it's, it's quite cool. So we've been at that's it, it's worked out for us work-wise, um, but it's also given me extra time with my kids, which is very nice. Mm. And another thing that we did in the midst you were of You were saying it was very nice last week, this week. <laughs> yeah. You got me on a flat day last week. <laughs> Um, the other thing that we did is we hired a developer just because he's really good. He's based in the middle of Tasmania somewhere, like not even Hobart or um, Launceston or Devonport, not a major city, just like out in Tasmanian bush. But he's an excellent developer mm. and, you know, he, he just fits, fits our culture really nicely. We can give him a whole bunch of tools. He works from home and I mean, we've, we've, we're probably one of those businesses that, that thinks like that anyway, but I'm hoping that we get to see a little bit more of that from the companies that we work with as well. What do you think? It's, a, it's an interesting one because um, when I started my career consulting, I worked with a lot of, of organisations that were outsourcing. That was, a, that, was a, that was the big thing that everyone was doing there. And they were outsourcing a lot of their operations to places like India and Poland from the, from the UK. And then sort of 10 years later, I was working with similar organizations, bringing all their operations back onshore, because in that time, that 10-year period, tech had gone from something that was about kind of maintaining predictability and cost to being um, a differentiated capability. Um, and the, the essence, when you have large-scale outsourcing, I think, you know, in your example for one person, it's probably pretty straightforward. But when you have large scale outsourcing, where you outsource, you know, entire processes or entire development teams, it's very hard to get the agility and speed that's mandated in organizations now. So I kind of, it will be interesting to see. Again, I think it comes down to tasks. If you have someone that is head down doing deep work in development, Maybe that maybe that works, and if they have the right culture, if they're the right cultural fit, and you have the tools available to collaborate, maybe it works that's in that way. But outsource, I, you know, I, my view of outsourcing wholesale functions is that it's it, it doesn't provide organisations with the agility they they require. Mm. What about incentives for building and retail? So one of the projects that we did in PwC in Singapore um, involved a workplace wallet whereby you gain points by doing things within the workplace. So, you know, you might have done a great job on a project and someone gives you a few points or um, you may have reported a, a, a monitor being down and that was helpful because, you know, that, that allowed a ticket to be raised and for that issue to get solved. So there's if it's this workplace wallet where you, you have all these points and then you can redeem them for things in the retail precinct as part of the, you know, the whole commercial precinct. So go and grab a coffee you can get a free lunch whatever it is do you think we're going to see landlords be innovative enough to put some of those workplace precinct incentives in place so that people are incentivized to come back to buildings to um you know transact in those precincts i kind of hope not <laughs> yeah okay. i don't like uh, i don't i, I Look, this is, I think people should be motivated in their workplace to do their jobs, motivated by the people they work with. If we need to get to a point where we're offering, you know, people points for doing things like reporting monitors out, I'm just not sure if that's gone too, like, that's gone too far. Yeah, it's a good point. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, um, I kind of I don't have the relationship with I think and I think this is a product of consulting as well. I tend to not have the relationship with buildings and places that a lot of people that have worked in in non-consulting roles have to uh, have. For me, like kind of a, an office has always just been a place where people are. 
Um, and that's what my motivational factor is. If if there are incentives to use a space in that way to drive returning returning custom, yeah, look, I guess that that makes sense. It's just not something that would necessarily appeal to me. Yeah. Okay. Um, I okay, this is my last question, but this is probably going to send you on one of your rants. So during the panel that we did last it's year, gonna send Brisbane, you <laughs> Brisbane to Sydney to Melbourne, you actually changed your point of view on data security versus user experience. And I think during this COVID period, we've experienced again, like another wave of what people are prepared to give up in order for their experience. And I'm talking about apps like House Party and Zoom. Yeah. Where are you at now? I'm still pretty, I'm still scared by it. Mm. And I, the, 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 the shift in my view was, was all, was, it was more a case of the responsibility that um, organizations will have to take for securing, um, for securing personal data and biometric data. My initial, just to, just to qualify what happened, my, my initial position was that landlords and should not deal with biometrics. I, as someone that worked for a landlord, I was like, I don't want to touch any of that data. It's far too hot to handle. It's, yep. you know, secu- taking people's biometric data for things like door entry and that kind of stuff and holding it in some form of database. It's just the risk of it made my eyes water. But as we went through those panels, I could see that people, that was kind of an expectation. And again, not just amongst younger people who have yet to learn, but amongst all generations, all ages. So I was like, well, clearly, if that's a customer expectation, then the expectation is going to be on the industry and the, and the people that work in technology within that industry to be able to utilize and secure that data, which was a pretty, um, which was a pretty terrifying um, revelation. Um, but yeah, it's, it, I kind of, I, I'm, inter- I'm interested in this I'm interested to see how the debate around the app in Australia will play out. So there's obviously the government, the government are, for those people not from Australia, the, gov- the Australian government are, are going to launch a, a tracing app to manage any future COVID um, spread. There's a lot of controversy about that in Australia because of the extent of be- people being tracked. People don't like the idea of being tracked. And one of the things that... Um, one of the things I'm interested to buy, and I have no data on this support, but are the people that are concerned about being tracked the same people that upload pictures on Instagram and have Facebook accounts and have their entire employment history on their LinkedIn profiles, you know, and the people that are using things like, you know, House Party and Zoom? Because if they're using those, if they're using those applications, they're giving that data away for free anyway. So what it's interesting to I think I guess one of maybe one of the things that I look at is people trust corporate software corporate corporations like Facebook more than they trust the actual government, which is a pretty um, which is a pretty insane position. Yeah, very scary, very scary. The um the app is interesting from a point of view of just using Bluetooth technology um, to you know it's more about marking who you come into contact with rather than tracing you as I understand it from location to location. Right. Yeah. It's a lot of those features. We, we've, we can already do that in the workplace using Cisco Meraki. It's kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a cool functionality. Like if it's not just tracking you on, on all of where you're going, I mean, most places, especially if you're, urban living a cctv anyway so you, you're being tracked in one way or another that's good being tracked by, sorry yeah but I, I agree with it yeah it's it's but there's there's also this kind of this this general hostility to the government tracking you but as you say they're doing it anyway and you're giving you you're giving your data away up to and including your biometric data to try and get some form of experience kick I it's um I kind of I I I see that as being pretty alarming because once you give your data away you can't get it back. Mm-hmm. Um, but as as we find out during those panels, <laughs> my view on this is pretty much in the minority, and that was kind of a that was a significant revelation for me actually. Yeah, it, it's it it was really interesting to see how much people were happy to give away in order for them to 
have less friction, I guess. Yeah. Um, people use platforms like Facebook or Instagram largely and TikTok. TikTok's another one. Um, largely for entertainment value, really. Like it's, you know, the, the, what draws them there is that talking to people, seeing photos, seeing videos, having a laugh. Um, but when you're talking about using that same technology, maybe even less invasive because it's less data that you're giving away as far as tracing for the effects of like um, contract tracing, all of a sudden, well, that's not fun. That's no fun. Why would I give away my data for no no fun? That's that's a serious thing that you're doing there. Yeah. So maybe it's about maybe it's about the reward. Yeah. <laughs> some reward. Maybe if you got you know some points that you go into like bakery. <laughs> And then you could yeah. like have a sausage roll for participating. Then maybe people would be more inclined to do it. Maybe maybe there is something in that. Maybe that's uh, maybe I'm being too glib with my dismissal of points make prizes situation. Yeah, like did Facebook sit around and start going? How do we get everybody on the planet's data? We want to know their first name, their last name, their location, where they went to school, um, their marital status. Um, where they check in at restaurants, you know, like did they sit there and go, hey, we want all of this data because we know that we can advertise to people and probably sell it on the black market somehow. But we better build an application that's like people going to want to use and it's going to be like gamified to say I'm checking into Nobu. You know, like that's, I just wonder, are they, are they sitting, are the Facebook geniuses kind of sitting there asking those questions and then putting together the app or was it an accident that all of a sudden they had access to all of this data that they now have to worry about controlling? It was probably, um, it was probably evolutionary. I mean, you can, at the point, they, uh, there was probably a tipping point. So, you know, if you, they probably built the app to go, this is great and people will be able to introduce themselves to other people on campus. And then they got to a point where where they said, how the hell can we make money from this thing? And then those conversations probably happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll be an optimist. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt in that situation. Oh, no. I mean, don't trust any, don't trust any of those. I probably, can't believe I'm saying this, but I probably trust the government before I trust the tech firms. <laughs> well, this has been a surprising talk with you, Ian. Um Thank you. I'm going to leave it there. I'm surprised how much we agreed on those things. I'm I'm pretty excited to see what comes post this. I think we're already seeing some some nice things come out of um, come out of this period of lockdown. I think tomorrow in Australia is Anzac Day, and people are planning vigils at the end of their driveways and putting out candles and still doing really finding ways to celebrate and say thank you for um, really important things, even though we can't all gather together. And I know that, you know, the planet is healing as well. So there's going to be plenty of good things to come out of this. Some of those will be related to workplace and human connection and driving collaboration. So I'm excited to see what comes out of it. And, yeah, thank you so much for the talk. Thank you. Sweet to you soon. Talk soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.